Isn't it great to be able to sing songs like those we just sang together? The spirited singing, the enthusiastic and eager singing that so often characterizes our song services here, how exciting it is. It prepares us not only for the prayer aspect of service, but also to devote a few minutes to a study of some section of the Word of God. As Jonathan already mentioned a moment ago, we'll be considering Joseph and the birth of our Savior tonight. It is basically the conclusion of a two-part series that we began last Sunday evening in which we looked at Mary's aspect on the perspective of the birth of Jesus. Tonight, what about Joseph's? As you and I turn our attention to that for a moment, I believe we'll be edified and encouraged so very much as we think about maybe some aspects of this that have slipped past us, at least from time to time. These introductory remarks, it would seem perhaps will tie together that lesson from last Sunday evening also until tonight. I believe we're each well aware that the characters of the Word of God form an almost inexhaustible supply of material for study and for, in fact, appreciation of that which has taken place in the lives of individuals over the course of the centuries. Some lessons for good, others not so good, but we can even learn from their mistakes, can't we? You may notice as we looked at Mary last Sunday evening and the fact that she was selected and chosen to bring the Christ child into the world, what a momentous moment it was. What a moving and compelling theme it was to study the aspect of that lesson. Tonight, though, we're going to turn that coin to the other side. What about Joseph? What about that man that was her espoused husband? What about him and his perspective on the birth of Jesus? It was read in our hearing a moment ago from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 21, and I ask you to hold that section there open on your lap. We'll be looking at it frequently over the course of the lesson tonight. As we proceed forward with our study, might I suggest there are several aspects and characteristics of Joseph that we would do well to at least reflect on, and I've tried to put those together in the following way. First of all, why don't we do this consideration first? Maybe the first thing that comes to our mind when we think about this Joseph in the Bible is the fact that he was Mary's husband. Let's develop that a little bit more carefully, gaining along the way some interesting appreciation of some terminology here in Matthew chapter 1. As far as those specific details of Joseph, we do understand and know that he chose Nazareth as his hometown, he did live in that place, for it was from there that Luke chapter 2 tells us he and Mary, of course, went to Bethlehem to engage in the census or be numbered as per the governmental decree of the time. But you'll quickly notice the following with me. Although we know some other features about Joseph, we know a little bit about his family, we know he was a descendant of David, we do know also, Matthew chapter 1 tells us, that this particular one had a very interesting history traced through those noble kings and individuals of Old Testament lore. But among those things, might I ask you to notice, although Joseph, of course, was a little baby boy at some point, he grew into manhood. Maybe some of that statement of Luke 2 verse 52 would be characteristic of virtually the growth of any youngster. He grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor, didn't he? With man. As Joseph grew into manhood, the time came that uh, a young woman caught his eye. We learned about Mary last week again. And not only did a relationship between those two develop, but a very strong one developed. 
Joseph, in fact, had asked her to marry him. At least decision had been made between those two to found a home together. Some of those verses I would ask you to consider still set before us the blessing of a home, doesn't it? In Genesis 2.18, in the early dawn of time, there it wasn't good for the man to be alone. And we remember that God took the initiative to fashion from his side, from a rib in fact, a woman, and he brought her to him. And in Genesis 2, verses 23 and 24, wasn't it therein said that? The beautiful arrangement of that home. And we even see Joseph and Mary proceeding along the path to found that very thing. Is it any wonder in Proverbs 18.22 it says, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing. One chapter later in Proverbs 19.14, A prudent wife is of the Lord. Those kinds of verses do ask us to reflect with thanksgiving, doesn't it, upon our families. As we're thankful for our husbands, our wives, as the case may be, you'll notice Joseph and Mary had made those plans and those arrangements that they too might proceed along the pathway to the founding of a godly home. As you and I come near the close of that slide, you'll notice these final expressions. Twice in the sacred scriptures, we are asked to take note that Joseph and Mary were espoused. I think we hinted at that briefly last Sunday evening, but it wouldn't be inappropriate to do so again. We realized that was a bit stronger than our modern appreciation of being engaged, but they had not consummated the marriage yet. That had not been finalized. However, as you and I understand the way that espousals or betrothals typically worked, as that's the word that Matt used in the reading of the translation he read before us, that those, of course, helped us appreciate that this betrothal is something that in many ways had legal binding arrangements with it. In other words, there were expectations and responsibilities that could be levied on each one of the parties. That'll be important as we proceed in the lesson tonight. At this point, they were espoused. And yet, what next does the text tell us about Joseph? You'll notice it leads us to note the following. Verse number 19 of Matthew chapter 1 had included these words. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man. Let's pause for just a moment if we might. A just man. And let's develop some appreciations perhaps like this. You and I just noted with great care the fact that the Holy Spirit had informed us that Joseph and Mary were espoused. They were already, if you please, committed faithfully to each other. And yet, that brings us to appreciate this. You and I learned last time that the angel Gabriel had appeared to Mary and informed her that she was going to be pregnant, that the Holy Spirit was going to come on her. In fact, she had quickly asked, How can these things be? I've never known a man. And it was then that the angel informed her it would be by virtue of the Holy Spirit coming on thee overshadowing thee that that would take place at this point though consider the development from Joseph's perspective here he had chosen this young woman Mary with whom they were going to found of course a home the expectation was that he would be faithful to her the expectation was that she would be faithful to him for all appearances, though, it now appeared that Mary had not been faithful to him. 
she was pregnant, and it was not with his child. Think about the conversation that must have taken place between them. As Joseph asks Mary, Mary, you're pregnant, how can this be? She informs him it's by the Holy Spirit. It would appear that was beyond the stretches of Joseph's ability to accept. Mary, I just can't accept this. How can this be that you're pregnant by the Holy Spirit? As you can well imagine, the thoughts that rested upon Joseph's mind bring us to note this. We understand that in the human family, there's a great deal of infidelity sexually. There are those who have affairs against their husband, against their wife. And it certainly appeared from the normal perspective of things that that's what Mary had done. It appeared that she was carrying another man's baby. And yet you and I know well what was Joseph to do here. What choices did Joseph have? Again, it would appear that it was hard to fully accept at this point what Mary had told him. Did you notice again verse number 19? Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. Joseph apparently at this point was unable to accept that which Mary told him, and his decision was to put her away. His decision was to end this relationship. His decision was to allow her to go her way and he would go his own. That was his initial decision. You can perhaps immediately tell that the Old Testament had said a number of things about those that would be guilty of adultery. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, one of the Ten Commandments had expressly said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Now again, even though the marriage hadn't been finalized, they too were already committed to one another. It appeared she had not been faithful. Later in Deuteronomy 22, verses 23 and 24, those guilty of adultery were supposed to be stoned. They were to be put to death. At this point, what choices did Joseph have to make? He could perhaps choose to pursue some kind of legal action beneath the law of Moses against Mary. He could perhaps choose to pursue against her these matters spoken of under the days of the Old Testament. You'll notice his decision was different. At this point, you'll notice perhaps a key adjective. The text says Joseph was a just man. I wonder what that means. The exact wording again is this. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man. I've asked you to note the definition with me of the word just. The word just formally means to conform to the standard, to the will, to the character of God. Furthermore, it carries with it the careful delineation of being righteous or to be right with God. And thus, there is a great deal of powerful truth behind this description of Joseph. Joseph was a righteous man. He was one who stood in a right relationship with God. He appreciated the character of holiness, the character of godliness, the character attached to that which God finds pleasing. It is with that in mind. You'll again notice several other places that very same word is used in Scripture. Now here it's translated as just in the King James translation. 
in Luke 23, 47, in the aftermath of the cross, the centurion cried out, Surely this man was a righteous man. Speaking of Jesus and the word righteous there is the same one translated just here. In Romans 1, verse number 17, in that beautiful description as Paul began the Roman letter, it began in verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. That word righteousness is the same one used to describe Joseph in this text. Finally, in 2 Timothy 4.8, in that beautiful closing anthem to Paul's inspired writings, he says, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all of them also that love is appearing. That word righteous that's used to describe God is the same one here that's translated just in description of Joseph. It seems like we have every reason to look highly and very respectfully upon the character of Joseph. Not only that, could you now appreciate the lesson that maybe that puts before every one of us? Isn't it true that all of us are encouraged by God to live a life described by the word just, described by the word righteous? Proverbs 22.1 continues to ask all of us to keep thoroughly in mind our name. How about your name? Do you and I strive to lift it high to make sure that we leave it in a better condition than, than when we found it? When your parents bequeath to you the name that's yours, don't you look forward to someday laying it down and giving it back to another generation better than the way you found it? Living a righteous life, a holy and godly life. I would ask you to notice in 1 Thessalonians 5.22, we're admonished to prove all things and cling or hold to that which is good. Maybe in fairness to all those comments, let's come near the close of that slide and note this. Every one of us, as we seek to follow God, are admonished to do so with justness. In fact, maybe the first text that comes to our mind is the very one listed there in Hebrews 10.38. It's quoted three times in the New Testament, all taken from the little book of Habakkuk. The just shall live by faith. Now there's a usage of the word just that we would hope would be characterized by all of us. Every one of us should be just. We should strive to live a life at least following in the steps of one we call Jesus. And we know that Joseph was one who, of course, longed to be pleasing to God too. That's what the word means. As we come to the bottom, what then was Joseph's decision? Would you please note this? The next verse puts it like this in verse 20. But while he thought on these things, it would appear that Joseph was greatly agitated in his mind as he thought about this. The woman he loved, it appeared, had not been faithful to him. What am I to do? I just can't go forward with this relationship. And his decision, after he thought on it, I wonder how many sleepless nights Joseph spent. I wonder how long he had spent virtually beside himself wondering, what should I do? Should I go ahead and accept what Mary's told me? Should I go ahead and marry her? I just can't do it. His decision, I'm going to put it away. Now you'll notice... 
that that immediately leads to the next characteristic of Joseph. Joseph appeared to be a man of mercy. We stated a moment ago that beneath the Old Testament law, there would have been at least the possibility of pursuing charges against Mary. Again, those guilty of adultery were to be stoned. Deuteronomy 22, verses 23 and following. Joseph didn't pursue that course of action. You might note, though, that maybe there was good reason. You and I know well what that Old Testament law had asserted. I would ask you to appreciate in Deuteronomy 17, verse number 6, it was at the mouth of two or three witnesses that the sentence of execution was to be carried out. And the fact is, on this occasion, though it appeared to Joseph that Mary had not been faithful, there were no witnesses. Mary freely admitted there was no man, it's by the Holy Spirit. Without the witnesses, Joseph couldn't proceed to try and execute Mary or have her executed. The witnesses were not present. Joseph was left with this course of action. I'm going to put her away. But did you notice? Did you notice the little adverb that describes it? The last word in verse number 19. Don't you just love how the Word of God, even by the choice of the words, tells you and me so very much? Joseph decided to put her away privately. He did not wish to make a public spectacle out of Mary. He did not wish to, in fact, bring her as a means by which the community could look upon her with neglect or with laughing stock or with a great derision. That was not Joseph's idea. He wanted to keep this as quiet, as privately as he was able to keep it. Would you note with me the definition of the word privately? That word as it appears in the King James translation. That word literally means secretly, quietly, privately. I'm sure that Mary already was undergoing enough difficulty. Can you imagine how others would laugh? You're pregnant, how? How believable was that to nearly anybody? And yet it was true. Joseph decided to put her away privately. As you and I develop that more interestingly, doesn't that speak a great deal? No doubt Joseph loved Mary greatly. And yet he simply at this point thought that the best course of action in light of the evidence that he had was to put her away, but to do it with privateness. What does that say about Joseph's mercifulness? And what does that indicate about that thought for you and me? Should you and I be people of mercy? Should you and I develop and in fact exhibit the characteristic of mercifulness? Let's speak about that a moment in light of some of these verses. How often did the God of heaven speak with positive thrust about being a person of mercy? In Matthew 5, verse number 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. One of the Beatitudes. If you and I expect to receive mercy, we must exhibit it and show it forth, mustn't we? Not only that, in Colossians 3, verse 12, as Paul listed a powerful arrangement of matters. He first had highlighted things that must be put away from the lives of individuals who would be pleasing to God. But then he quickly asserts a number of matters that should quickly be added. And it says, with all humbleness of mind and with mercy. You and I must be people of mercy if we're to be pleasing to God, appropriately extending it, appropriately showing it and manifesting it. 
maybe one final passage would be James 3.17 in which we note this. There are basically two kinds of wisdom. There is that wisdom that comes from hell. It's a wisdom that brings nothing good along with it. It's a wisdom that brings division and it brings envy and it brings jealousy. But what about that wisdom that from above? Oh, indeed, that wisdom that, of course, comes from the halls of heaven itself. But that wisdom, among other things, is full of mercy. May you and I then appreciate that Joseph was a man of mercy, and so too must we be. This thought of mercy maybe asks us to appreciate one of the features we even saw in the lesson quickly in passing this morning. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine, to love our neighbor as ourself, or maybe to see it in the words of the requirement to be forgiving. Yes, indeed, to be a person of forgiveness. Isn't it true that the Bible asks you and me to appreciate time and time again the fact that God extended mercy to you and me? When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a great statement of His mercy in our direction. By the same token, when others offend against you and me, aren't we commanded to have a forgiving spirit toward them? In fact, we're expressly told God won't forgive us unless we're willing to forgive others. Matthew 6, 14. That highlights the requirement of being a merciful person, doesn't it? A man, a woman, appropriately designated and motivated and one who exhibits the matter of mercy. One final thought might well be that text in Luke chapter 10. Verses 25 to 37 set before us that famous Good Samaritan in which here was a Samaritan who extended mercy to an injured person. And yet, as Jesus closed that, He said, Go and do thou likewise, bringing to you and to me the impressiveness of the fact the one who was a neighbor was a Samaritan. And our mentality, our motivation ought not be unlike His. Mercy, Joseph had it. He loved Mary and he didn't want to make a public spectacle out of her. He put her away privately. That was his intent. The plot thickens. At this point, as you and I come to verse number 20, the text again says, But while he thought on these things, isn't it exciting to appreciate the deliberation of Joseph? He didn't act hastily. He thought about what to do with regard to Mary. You and I ought also not to act too hastily, but to deliberate, to reason in light of scriptural evidence and to make the right decision that would properly be in light of the evidence. What next about Joseph? A man of faith. We probably expected something like this coming, but let's build it in the following way. Let's elaborate from the following perspective. Might I again ask you to notice, at the very top, the conclusion, at least at this point in Joseph's life, he had reached this one. I'm going to put Mary away even though no doubt she has expressed to him the fact that I'm not pregnant by another man. It's by the Holy Spirit, and Joseph couldn't accept that. It was too far-fetched. It was just too extravagant and unbelievable. To verse 20 we go. But while he thought of these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not, to take unto thee Mary thy wife, 
For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Now you notice that, remember, Gabriel had already informed Mary that she would be pregnant by way of the Holy Spirit. And now sometime later, we aren't told how many days may have elapsed. We aren't told the amount of time that may have passed. But we know that Joseph had enough time to deliberate on the situation. He had determined to put Mary away. Now, in a dream, some information from God is communicated to Joseph. Now, that was in a day and in a time when God communicated by way of dreams on occasion. Several in the Old Testament, like Nebuchadnezzar, and we even remember others in the book of Genesis. God gave Joseph some inspired information. Would you notice it again with me? Joseph, thou son of David. The angel in this dream directly identifies Joseph. He goes on to say, fear not. You'll notice that indicates that Joseph had been afraid to take Mary to wife. He'd been fearful of it. The angel says, don't you be afraid to take Mary to wife. And he goes on to explain, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. What Mary had told you, Joseph, is correct. What Mary had no doubt tried to explain, maybe even tearfully, was actually the truth. She is pregnant, but it wasn't by way of any man. It was the Holy Spirit. And now the angel communicated to Joseph in the dream that same information. As you and I look upon that, isn't that beautiful? Because what did Joseph do almost immediately? At this point, the text says, verse number 21, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord, by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Verse 24, Then... Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. What did Joseph do? It seems he no sooner woke up out of sleep than he went and found Mary. At least the very first word of verse 24 is the word then. It's an adverb descriptive of the time frame in which these events took place. What did Joseph do when he woke up? It says, Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. What had the angel bidden him? Don't be afraid to take Mary to wife. It would seem to suggest that as soon as Joseph woke up, he went to find Mary. I'm sure they had parted in a very sad way. Mary, I just can't marry you. But now, as soon as he wakes up, he goes and finds her. Mary, you were right all along. Mary, the child you're carrying is from the Holy Spirit. Mary, I'd be honored to be your husband. Mary, let's get married. Look at the change that happened in Joseph. Not many verses earlier, he had determined to put her away. Now, he wanted to be her husband. What prompted that change? What prompted that change, of course, was the information from the angel. What prompted that change is the very description you and I would call faith. Joseph believed what that angel delivered to him, and he accepted it. He no longer questioned this aspect of Mary's pregnancy. He accepted it for what the angel said, and he acted upon that in what you and I would call faith. 
Isn't that what faith is? Faith is doing exactly what God said in the way that He said it for the reason that He said it. In a synopsis, that's faith, isn't it? Here, what appeared to be unbelievable to Joseph at first, now he accepted at face value because the angel said so. Isn't that supposed to be descriptive of your life and mine in approved nature before God? We do what we do in worship, in the plan of salvation. We do what we do in the organization of the church, not because it makes sense to us, but because this book says that's the way it's to be done. And that's faith. It doesn't matter what others on the human family think about it. They may criticize, they may revile and blaspheme, but it doesn't matter to us because we walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Joseph was a man of faith. This woman that he loved, she was pregnant but not by a man, and Joseph accepted that because the angel said so. What a man of faith he was. Isn't it still true that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God? Romans 10, verse 17. Aren't you thankful for the Bible? Aren't you thankful that you and I can be individuals of faith? That we can rest assured that we can be pleasing to God just like Joseph realized he and Mary could be? One by one, as we've looked at all these things, these attributes of Joseph, maybe one more and our lesson will draw to its conclusion. Because you see, it perhaps would also be fair to say, at least in passing, that this man Joseph, you'll remember that also the angel had told him, Mary is going to bring forth a son. And Joseph was even told what name to give him, Jesus, because he's going to save his people from their sins. God with us, Emmanuel, would be the descriptive name given to this one Joseph was being informed that this baby boy that was going to be born was going to be a remarkable one. Absolutely remarkable. Maybe in light of that, consider yourself, at least in Joseph's shoes for a moment, when that baby's born and as he proceeds to grow through the years. When Jesus was age 2, age 5, age 8, age 11, age 14, and you as Joseph know very well because of what the angel had informed that he is the Son of God. He's not just a human in the fact that he was born like everybody else. He was born of a virgin. Joseph knew he had never had relations sexually with Mary. Joseph knew that. And yet here he was as Joseph bequeathed to be the stepfather, if you will, the one charged, commissioned, and challenged to assist Jesus as he grew up. I find it interesting, one little innocent statement found in Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Let's build up to that in the following way. You'll notice that Joseph himself is described as a carpenter. That is before us in Matthew 13, verse 55. Apparently by trade, Joseph was a carpenter. He had skill in working with wood, perhaps building furniture, perhaps doing other things that would involve woodworking. Joseph was skilled at that. Think about the hours he would have spent in the wood shop or at least crafting his means by which he could support himself and his family. As Jesus grew up, I wonder how many hours he spent in the wood shop with Dad. 
I wonder how often he was there helping plain wood or perhaps join wood pieces together. How often did he assist Joseph? This much we know in Mark 6 verse 3, Jesus also was referred to as the carpenter. It would appear that he had learned from his father enough that he too could be characterized and described in that same way. I suspect that Joseph many times then instructed his son, Here, sons, how you plain wood. Here, sons, how you nail wood pieces together in the way that they look the best. Here's how you construct wood pieces in such a way that you could present them and sell them for the most. By whatever means that happened, both are referred to with the skill of carpenter. Fathers, that encourages all of us to set before our children a prime example of faithfulness, a prime example of godliness, a prime example of helping them appreciate that they too can develop their own abilities by way of talents and skill and that we should encourage them and never discourage them in that way. Colossians 3 verses 19 to 21. As you and I close that slide together, what a powerful set of instructions have surrounded Joseph. It is with that that we close our lesson. We close it with a very brief summary. We've used two lessons, both last Sunday night and tonight, to look first upon Mary and the birth of Jesus, and tonight Joseph and the birth of Jesus. And as we've studied Joseph in particular, we have found these five matters. First, Joseph was a just man. We also have found out that he was a merciful man. We finally have appreciated, in addition to that, that Joseph exhibited great faith by believing exactly and so quickly what the angel had conferred to him. Fourthly, we came to appreciate, didn't we, that he in fact quickly did as the angel commanded and married Mary. And finally, he was of course the one, he and Mary, that were the family that brought Jesus into the world and helped rear him. How sweet it is to think of the blessing, of course, that's yours and mine today as we, of course, have Jesus. That very babe was born. He grew up. He became the greatest preacher the world has ever known. He founded the greatest organization, the church, the world will ever know. And He is the one and only pathway that leads to heaven. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, John 14, 6. Tonight, there might be one or more in the audience that would like to rush to the Master's side. If you are an alien sinner, having never rendered initial obedience, let tonight be the night. Jesus commands that you believe upon Him, John 8, 24. He commands that you repent of your sins, Luke 13, 5. He commands that you confess His name as the only begotten Son of God. We read that, of course, in Matthew 10. And then finally, you must be baptized for the remission of your sins, Acts twenty two sixteen. If we could assist you tonight in your carrying out of that, we'd be delighted to do it. If though you have known the sweetness of being a member of the body of Christ, but have not been faithful, let Joseph serve as a prime example. Always do exactly and only what God has commanded. As you do that, you might need to come back then tonight to your first love in a public way. If we could help you by praying to God on your behalf, we'd be delighted to do that too. If we could help anyone this very night in a public response to the gospel, why not do that at this very moment while together we stand and while we sing?